When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the bookcase. Happy New Year to you. If you're still holding on to your New Year's resolutions, congratulations. And if you broke them, I hope it was worth it and it was fun. I am Kate Gibson. And I'm Charlie Gibson. You'd have had to break them in record time. I mean, it's, it's only a few days into the New Year. So I, I, yeah, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on wishing people Happy New Year. You know, we're into the first week in January. I think it's still okay to say Happy New Year to people, and so we do say Happy New Year. We have a very Happy New Year book to start off the year. It's been a stressful Christmas season, I think, as joyous as the season is, but we've got a fun, I hate fun as an adjective, but we have an enjoyable first read that I think you'll get a kick out of. Good mystery. It's called First Lie Wins, and it is, I mean, I don't want to tell you too much because So I love mysteries. I love mysteries that keep you guessing. I love mysteries where you go to the end and you go, well, heck, I don't know who done it. But there are very few books to me that actually make you, that break the genre a little bit. They they take the genre and they turn it on its ear. The guest list, it was a fun ride like that. You know, not only do you not know who the murderer is, but you don't know who's dead until the last 10 pages. That's very different. When you break the genre, I think it's really interesting. And this book, First Lie Wins breaks the genre a bit. You're dropped right into the middle of a heist, essentially, and your narrator is the person who's committing the heist. Now, I don't want to say anything more than that because, boy, the ground kept shifting beneath my feet as a reader. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was just a terrific, really fun ride that kept me guessing right up until the end and going, oh, she's really playing with this and having fun. And I recommend it as a good, enjoyable read. There are twists, there are turns, there are changes, and so many surprises. And it's a con game. The whole thing is a con game, which I love. Uh, you know, it's like the sting yeah. of the movie. Everybody's conning everybody else, and you don't know who's what's genuine and, and, um, and what's a con. <laughs> Anyway, as I say, it's just a very enjoyable way to start the new year. We loved it. Yeah, we really did. And then, like I say, we called each other once we'd finished and said, did you figure it out? Did you figure it out? And we talked through all of the plot points that we felt like we might have missed. She does a really great job. Up until this point, she's been a YA author. Ashley Elston, First Sly Wins, our conversation. Ashley Elston, it's a pleasure. And as I read first lie wins, I kept thinking, this is really a devious plot. So it has to be written by somebody with a devious mind. Do you have a devious mind? I mean, I wouldn't think so. No, um, I do get a lot of questions about where I get these ideas from. And I don't know. I just don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think for me, I'm always interested, especially when a novel has this much going on and and keeps you guessing this much. So I guess my question is, where did this novel start for you? Did it start with the character 
of Evie? Did it start with a desire to create a novel where you keep the ground shifting beneath the reader's feet? What what was the original inspiration that got you to sit down and, and write the first Lie Winds? So I was a photographer for 10 years before I started writing. And so I'm very visual. And so I sort of see the scene in my head before I write it. And I had done four thrillers and two rom-coms. And I was having one of those moments like, what am I going to do now? Because, you know, I didn't really have another rom-com idea. And I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in the YA world. And so I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'm done. I don't know. But then I had this scene in my head and it was just very clear and I could picture it. And so then as I kind of thought about it and what I do with what I call my ceiling fan time, where you sort of just, you know, lay on the couch and stare at the ceiling fan and let that mind go. I then kind of started building a conversation. What would those people around this dinner table say? You know, what would that conversation be like? And so I was like, well, I'll just write that. I know what it is. I don't know where it's going, but I'll just write that scene. And I was like, okay, well, I'm mean, kind of like it. So I mean, I mean, what if they did this next? And then I wrote that. And so I sort of what if my way into the <laughs> beginning of this book. And I was like, well, maybe I should really like think about what this book is about. So, you know, as much as everything changed and got edited, that opening scene is the dinner party scene. And it is almost word for word how I wrote it the very first time. It's interesting because Charles Fraser, who wrote Cold Mountain, and we talked to him when he wrote a book called The Trackers, said he saw a picture in his mind. And that picture stayed there for 10 years or 12 years. And then he decided, I can turn that picture into a novel, which he did which is very different than what most writers have told us, that they have a sense of the end, they have a sense of the beginning, they have some greater sense of what they're doing than just an image. Isn't it a little daunting just to start that way? It's a terrible process. I do not recommend it at all. <laughs> but it is, it is my process. Uh, I think for me, and I have you know, a lot of writing friends, and we all do it so differently, even if we write in the similar genre. For me, I don't know that those magic moments come if I try to plan them out in advance. You know, I sort of write with like, oh, I wonder what they're going to do next. Sort of like, where can we go? And, and, you know, sometimes I have that goes to a dead end and I have to sort of reverse myself back out to where it was working and felt good. And we take a maybe a right turn and we go a different direction. And so it's it's writing with a sense of my own discovery as well. And it's a really rough first draft. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of editing that has to happen and I have to go back and change and do a lot of different things. But for that first draft, I just love that freedom of really anything can happen. But First Lie Wins is so amazing because you're going down a path and then you turn around and then you turn again and then you turn back and you turn. There's more twists in this book than a pretzel. Um <laughs> or Lombard Street in San Francisco. But yes. so I, I don't see how you can keep all those going when you're just making them up as you go along. Well, like I said, the first draft is pretty rough. <laughs> I then get to a point where I will pull out a roll of butcher paper and I have the sticky notes and I have every scene. I have to keep up with what day is this and you know what time period are we in? And, and it's almost like one of those like CSI shows where you have all the strings and the things. And it's messy at that point. But, you know, I just, I don't know. I have that present day timeline going. I had those flashbacks and I rewrote the ending seven different times. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa. Yes, because it just wasn't right. And so, you know, the first four versions of the end all had to do with, you know, not spoiling it, but one of the characters at the end and exactly who they are and what happens to them that sort of evolved. And it always is, starts out pretty basic. And I'm like, mm, that's not enough. And then we, we ramp it up. And I was like, that's still not enough. And so then we 
I get to where I'm like, okay, I like that. And then the last three versions and the last version came after my first round of edits with my editor. And it was like, who's the bad guy? Like, who is he? <laughs> and I've, I changed him three times. I want to give the reader a little background, but essentially when you open page one, you're in the middle of a heist already. Right. And you're going along with the narrator who is committing this heist. But it became clear, and this is one of the things I said to my father, I said, you got to read this, you're going to love it. <laughs> I said, it breaks the genre a little bit. And I said, but one of the things I think is amazing is it becomes clear from page one that your narrator is a criminal. And from page one, you like her. And that's not an easy thing to pull off. Did you know that's what you wanted to pull off when you sat down to write, Evie? Did you know you wanted her to be likable? I wanted her likable and I wanted her a bit shady. I wanted her very gray, but I wanted her to have her own sense of morality. I mean, she'll do some some things that most people won't do, right? And shouldn't do. I mean, they're illegal, but she does have a line she won't cross. And she knows what that line is. And she's okay with that line. And I wanted her to be, you know what, I may be a criminal, but I'm good at it. And, you know, I'm gonna do what I'm good at and sort of unapologetic. So I did, I did want that character. Yes. And I think a lot of the tweaking and the rewriting came with making sure she stayed that. Mm. I didn't lose that with her. I want to go back to your methodology for a minute, because I'm totally fascinated by the idea that you in some ways are led by your own wonder. It's like, I wonder what these characters are going to do next. And you really do get to the end of the scene and go, no, they didn't do that. That was wrong. <laughs> like, how do you know you're wrong? Like, how do you know it doesn't feel right? If I can't keep going, if I feel like I have written myself into a little bit of a dead end, like, you know, or if I think I can already see five huge plot holes with this. Mm. Um, I also like to look at it backwards. So, you know, let's say this is where we're headed. What would the obvious thing be? Okay, well, I don't want to mm. be obvious. So what? Mm. what is it? the opposite of obvious? Okay, well, then how can I get to that? What do I need for that to happen? And so then I sort of work it backwards sometimes. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I like I like that idea. My friend Jay Ryan Straddle, who's a writer, wrote a book, Kitchen to the Great Midwest. And I said to him, where did it start for you? And he said, I was sitting at a dinner party and I started thinking, how did we all end up at this table? And that's how I built the novel. So I, I like that you started with a dinner party. It was sort mm -hmm. of similar. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I didn't know that that would stay the same. I didn't know that that would stay as the opening. But I just I don't know. I just loved that scene. It just felt so right. It felt like perfect opening for her. And I, you know, luckily my editors and everybody agreed and that's where we, we stayed. So I've intuited something from what you've said. I may be wrong, but you've talked about other writers and I'm wondering if you're in a writing group and did you read parts of this to them and what were their reactions as your first listeners? Yes, they read as I write it. So I'll write like the opening and I'll send it. And I was like, okay, good enough to keep going or not. And they are like, yeah, I mean, where are you going with this? I was like, I don't know. But I mean, are you with me? <laughs> with me on this? And, you know, and so in a lot of times we, I talk it through before I really, you know, like this is where I'm thinking I'm going. I don't know. And, you know, we, I get good feedback and sometimes they'll write it. They're like, I'm not quite getting this. I'm like, okay, well, that's telling me that I, I need to clarify some things or I'm, I'm going a little bit too far or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, the best thing about a critique partner is you want somebody that's helpful and you want them to say the things that maybe are hard to say, but you don't want them to be, you know, mean or cruel about it because that's just, you know, never mind. I'll just, 
you know, start a bakery. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'll just do something different. So that is the challenge is to have the support with also the honesty, but in a way that is uplifting. How do you define YA literature as a genre from being different from what, I mean, is it a, is it a distinction that we impose or is it a distinction that's really there? I love YA and I, I read YA, you know, obviously I wrote it. Is it just for kids? I don't think so. I think a lot of my YA is read by adults. I think adults can read it. And there's some really good, smart, clever YA out there. And I think sometimes it gets a bad rap because, oh, it's for kids. Well, it's really not. It's just that's the age of most of the main characters. And that's where they are in their life. But God, what a fascinating time of life. I mean, you know, the world is sort of your oyster, right? But you're still like, you know, have to be home by 11, you know, and need your <laughs> allowance, right? I mean, it's just everything is still possible, but it's also like, you know, I'm still under a thumb somewhat. Did you have confidence in that first draft? No. If you changed the ending seven times and if you found, did you did you read reread the first draft yourself and think, oh, this this sucks. I got to do something with this. I thought there was something there. And I can remember I had visited my son. We were talking about this the other day. My oldest son has already graduated from Ole Miss, but at the time he was still there. And I had gone in for parents weekend and, you know, we were all at one of the campus events. And I said, I think I'm writing an adult book. I mean, you know, like it's a secret. Let me lean in, you know, and he's like, well, why are you doing that? I was like, I don't know. It is just what my story is. And he said, well, do you think it's good? And I said, I, I think it's something special. I think it could be if I can get it right. And he was like, well, go for it. And we were talking about that the other night. He was like, remember when you said that? And I was like, I do. And I think that's what really kept me like, it's not right, but it could be. It's not right, but it could be because it it felt special, but I knew it wasn't there until I had got it right. Which leads me to the question I'm most fascinated with authors. How do you know it's there? And if I if I mess with it anymore... I'm not going to help it. I'm going to hurt it. Yeah, I'm done. How do you know you're done? Yeah, when you want to light it on fire. That is my, usually my, um, <laughs> if I have to read this again, I quit. Um, uh, I'm going to throw it in the river. Um, when I'm so sick and I hate everybody and everything, then it's done. Or it's as done as it's going to be for me. I want to talk a little bit about you. You mentioned you were 10 years a wedding photographer. Mm-hmm. That's kind of random, you know, that a wedding <laughs> photographer would become a writer. Yes. Tell me about that process. I graduated from college. I started working at Merrill Lynch in like secretarial type job. And there was a girl there that was getting married and they had no money. And I was like, well, who's doing your pictures? And she's like, nobody, we have no money. I was like, oh, well then, I mean, I'll do it because I mean, I'm, I'm better than nothing. Right. I mean, be my gift. And so I took her wedding pictures and they were not terrible. And then somebody else in the office saw them and she says, well, my daughter's getting married. And we have a very small budget. I was like, $100? I'll do it for $100. You know? And so I just started doing it like that. And then it just, I just hustled my way into like, my husband was like, well, you know, gotta, you know, gotta have some money, right? And I'm like, if I can do this and not have that other job. And so I did. And I just made sure that I was going to be my own boss because, you know, I just, that worked better for me. And so then I had three sons and you know, you miss a lot of things when you do weddings. You miss a lot of birthday parties and soccer events. And I think I was a little bit burned out. So I was going to take a break. I'm still on that break. But it I was just <laughs> I missed that creative outlet in a way. And I've always been a big reader. I always love to read. Did not think I could write because I didn't know any writers. I didn't know how you became a writer. I just I just did not know how that worked. And so when my youngest was, he'd be napping and now the other boys were at school. And I was like, I don't know. I have an idea. So I just started writing and it was terrible. It's a terrible book. It's a terrible story. It's going to die in the drawer where it sits. But 
I enjoyed the process. And so once I sort of got past that really bad first book, I was like, okay, now if I really am going to write, what would I write? And so then I wrote a different book and that ended up being my first YA thriller. So if somebody's listening to this and thinks, you know, I would love to write and I was pretty good in college or whatever, what would you say to them? This is really a long shot. Yeah, you're, you're bucking the odds. Or yeah, if you've got a yen, do it. I think at least try. I mean, Lord knows, I wouldn't have been a photographer if I just didn't get out there and try it. It's so scary. I wouldn't have been a writer if I didn't just try it. And um, there's a lot of people that's like, oh, if I had the time, you know, I could write something. Well, I mean, who has the time really to do anything? I mean, we're all busy. You know, I just, I, I'm always like, if, don't talk about it. Just do it. If it works out, it does. And doesn't, then go find another something to do. But I don't know. I just, I didn't realize how hard it was back then I just didn't realize and I think it was probably good I didn't realize how hard it was because I just thought somebody <laughs> somebody's gonna buy my book I mean why wouldn't they and so I think that little bit of being naive was very very helpful for me back then I just was like well here it is Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Rapid fire questions for Ashley Elston. All right. So you can pull off the greatest heist in the world and nobody will catch you. What do you want? Gosh, that's a really hard one. I'd want to do something that would be kind of shocking, I guess. I loved that movie, The Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, and yeah. at the very end, when he puts the, the other paintings back, but it was like been back, and, but then they open and that other one's gone. Like, I need to know how you got that one. Like, you left me and I don't <laughs> know how you got that one. I, yes, <laughs> something where there were a thousand people and they just didn't even see you take it. Strangest experience you ever had as a wedding photographer. <laughs> and my bride did a keg stand in her wedding dress and her brother had to hold her dress up so that her behind would not show to the whole crowd watching. <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay. That, that was pretty interesting moment. Another moment was probably as I was meeting with the bride and her mother before the wedding and the mother excuses herself to go to the restroom. And then the daughter, because she had been very just disinterested, which was a little bit surprising. So the mother leaves to go to the restroom and the daughter leans forward and she says, I'm already married. We already married. We married last year because he was going to be, he's from Colombia and his visa was up. But my parents don't know. And of course, my mind is like, how are you doing your taxes this year? What if your parents claim you? I mean, like I'm thinking through all of the things that like you're married. Do you have a New Year's resolution for 2024? I do. I'm trying to, my youngest son is a runner and he does cross country and he's training for a half marathon. I'm no runner and I do not want to do a half marathon. I would love to do a 5k with him. And that will, you know, that will be a challenge for me because I only run if somebody's chasing me. So I am going to hopefully get to where I can do a 5k with him. That is sort of, that's what I would like to do. Well, I remember when my parents talked to me, we went to Disney World and they would talk about an e-ticket ride and I'd never heard of it. It was the type of ticket that you would get when you wanted to go on the premium, most fun rides. First Lie Wins is an e-ticket ride. 
Thank you so much for joining us. No, really, I, I, it had the ground shifting beneath me the whole time, kept me guessing, and it's a really fun ride. Thank you so much. I mean, y'all can see me, but for everybody else, I'm blushing because that's so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We wish you luck with it. It's a, it's a good way to start the year. Have a good fun ride in the book. It is. Thank you. Our conversation with Ashley Elson, one of the things that stays with me, as we've said time and again, I love the conversations with these writers because it's become a master class in writing and everybody does it a little bit differently. And she started with a scene in her head, which is not the very open of the book. So essentially, once she wrote that scene, which was the first scene she wrote, she was going to have to write forwards and backwards, which I think is really Interesting. And I think she may be the first writer that tells us she did it that way. You mean she has to lead up to the scene, which is a dinner party, and then lead yes. away from the scene to get to the end, which she had no idea was going to be. Yes. It was very tricky what she did. And for somebody who hadn't written an adult novel uh, before, a, a novel, I hate that phrase, adult novel. So it I. sounds like we're back to Fifty Shades of Grey. It's so patronizing, too, to young adults because it's like, Sunday, you'll read books for grownups. Anyway. But it is the first <laughs> one that she's written with an adult audience in mind. And it staggered me when I read it, knowing that, that, um, that she could do something which is so complex and keep it straight, even though, even though the reader doesn't quite know where you are in any part of this book. It's really enjoyable. As I say, we wanted to start the year with something that would be that would be fun and that would be uh, relaxing after uh, what can be a stressful holiday season. One other thing I wanted to say before we close this off, you might notice that we haven't talked to a bookstore in a little while. And I just want to say that uh, if you haven't worked in retail, Christmas is is the season. It's the season you go to the trenches. So I want to say to the folks who worked in the bookstores, thank you for your service over the last two months. I don't mean to be flippant with the phrase, thank you for your service, but I know how hard you guys work at Christmas. And honestly, bookstores have just been too busy to talk to us, which is great. We love that people buy books for Christmas, but we will be back with them this year. We promise, promise. Also, Kate, the new feature of the bookcase that I want to continue in the new year is a book fact for you, oh, a God. quiz each week. Oh, God. So I got one for you. Oh, God. What sh- yeah, so are there far, m- they haven't been easily guessable, by the way. They have not been easily guessable, and that's not helpful. Yes, go ahead. My question for this week, are mm-hmm. there more public libraries in this country or more McDonald's franchises? Oh, there's more McDonald's franchises. You think? Yeah. Final okay, answer? I'm going to go... I'm going to go ahead final and answer? say yes. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and take the cynical American final answer and say yes, that's my final answer. There are more public libraries than there are McDonald's franchises. Hey! There are 16,000 plus public libraries and 14,000 plus McDonald's franchises. Hey! So there's hope. There's there's hope for Western civilization. That's great. We can eat well and read well. And I say that as someone who likes McDonald's. So I consider that eating well. Anyway, uh, we will have more book facts as the year goes on. We will take a week off. We're exhausted from the holidays, frankly. We will take a week off (laughs) next Thursday. We hope you'll stay with us and join us two weeks from now when we get back to business. He's being really nice. It's actually that we spent way too much time together for the holidays. We spent time together. We just can't can't look at each other. We can't talk. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're just taking one week off and then we will be back. We will have a closing thought from Ashley Elson after we remind you about the great folks that make this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. The Bookcase is a production of ABC Audio. 
in partnership with Good Morning America. It is produced by David Canada in conjunction with Sure Can Productions. Asal Asanapur is our producer. Laura Mayer and Simone Swink are our executive producers. We give special thanks to Taylor Rhodes, Amanda McMaster, and Sarah Russell of Good Morning America, and Josh Cohan, Nania McLean, Vika Aronson, and Brenda Salinas Baker at ABC Audio. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something, no matter what it is. Thank you.